Hello, and welcome to Pablo's channel. I'm back after a bit of a hiatus. Um, I'm back to read more of Gerald Hurd's The Best Weird Stories of Gerald Hurd, really. Uh, the Drobinon. I just, the last episode, if you tuned in, I did read Drobinon. Um, I'll just want to give it um, an apology if anyone listened to it. At one point, I started to uh, have a bad cough in there. I thought I stopped the recording, but I obviously didn't. So I'm sorry if you had to go through that. Um, the coughing of Pablo. And it wasn't a very good cough. It was a lot of phlegm in there. So it was a bit... Ooh. Anyway, what's done is done. It was such a long read, I couldn't start all over again. And I thought I read it well, actually. If I do say myself. But anyway, yes, we are going to read more of the Dromenon series. We're coming near to the end. There's only, I think, yeah, there's only three more stories left. And then we would have got through the whole book. Um, and if you've listened to them all, very good. I didn't expect you to do that. Uh, because, you know, as I've said at the beginning, I've held Gerald Hurd for some reason to high esteem I like the way he writes and the way he thinks um, and I just enjoyed the the stories he makes actually these stories are fascinating now the one I'm going to read now sorry the date today is actually the 29th of December we're nearly coming to the end of 2018 uh, I'm in Norma Road in my bedroom I've, I'm playing my new toy that I got off my dad the Google Hub Home, uh, really good because you can play videos, uh, YouTube videos, just by voice recognition and many other things. Technology is really getting powerful uh, in terms of making things easy for what you want. So, yeah, absolutely amazing. I'm in awe with it, really. Um, but anyhow, let's go to the Gerald Heard story. Um, this one's called The Rousing of Mr. Bradegur. Bradegur? That's B-R-A-D-E-G-A-R. Bradegur. Bradegur? Probably pronounced it totally wrong. Anyway, let's go. I'm going to focus on this. With the ambient sounds in the background. And may this be an interesting journey. Because I haven't studied this one before. Here we go. Mr. Bradiger was not alarmed. That would have been an exaggeration. And a disparaging exaggeration. Which is, in itself, so unusual as to awaken doubt. But Mr. Bradiger had been awakened, had been awakened in an unusual way. In a way which he would have been quite happy to allow it had there been anyone to make happy by the allowance. Might well have been alarming to a more highly strung nature. Indeed, the trouble about this sudden summons back from dreams to reality was that Mr. Bradagar was quite at a loss to know what it was that had summoned him. It was not rosy-fingered dawn. A glance hadn't shown much, indeed had shown so little 
that it seemed clear that Dawn wasn't in the offing and would not be for a long while. Otherwise, you ought to see where the casement grows a glimmering square. Now, if he had his bearings right, it is hard to be sure when you are awakened too quickly. But, to the best of his knowledge, the window was where he was looking, and there was no suspicion of a glimmering square about it. Well, ears might be better than eyes. With the fingers of his upper hand, which, with its underfellow, had been folded near his face, in the attitude of fatal humility, which we resume when we would rest. Mr. Bradagar got ready to push back the edge of the sheet, under which he lay up to the ears, then paused. What was that? A rustle? No, it was only the small sound made as his too vigilant ear moved on its own, obeying an impulse almost as ancient as his sleeping pose, trying to cock itself, but only succeeding now in producing a small sound, the sound of its own movement against the sheet edge instead of detecting an external disturbance. He must have his ears clear if his eyes wouldn't work. There, now, he was unlapped. It was his good ear, too. So he must be lying on his left side. So, again, he must be right about the window and further about the time within limits. It was his good ear, because he could hear the discreet pulse of the mantel clock. Yes, he was now quite awake, and had himself well arranged in relation to his whereabouts. He noticed too that his heart was beating more slowly. He reflected on this. I must have had a start in my sleep. Perhaps it was only a dream. He worked the back of his neck a little deeper into the pillow until he was quite comfortable. Gave up staring into the dark, but still left his weather ear uncovered. Half over on his back, he could keep a casual watch until sleep relieved him. It evidently was closer at hand than he had thought. But in no perceptible length of time, he found himself of the opinion that He was out in the street, just about to cross, when a small dog ran in front of him, turned its head and barked sharply. Wake up, Mr. Bredegar obeyed instantly, and as instantly he was aware that the same whatever it was that had first started him to wakefulness must have done it again. His ear was still uncovered, the window still as non-committal. Only the mantel clock, after a soft preliminary whirring, began to strike. It strike, if strike is not too emphatic a word for its perfect night nurse manner. But it hadn't much to say. One, two. Mr. Bradagar 
also noticed again that his heart had evidently caught on to this thing even before it had wakened him. It was slackening down from a more rapid pace. Domio said core, he quoted to himself. 2 a.m. The heart should now be at its slowest. Poor old thing, having to put in some overbeats when it should have been its half time, on its half time, sorry. Mr. Bradagar was sensibly concerned, not alarmed about his heart. Guest and companion of my clay, he quoted again. A little more sadly, and secondly this time, for 60 years beating away to him enough energy to be born, to fight at school, row himself blind at college, pull himself for a dozen seasons to the top of two-score alpine first-class peaks and leap down the throats of the opposing attorney and his witnesses day after day for half a lifetime. It was a reputable record for a soft piece of sinew which has to be a has to be as precise as the best clockwork and as ready as a rattler. He must give it a chance. That is what Wilkinshaw, the big heart man, had said. Give it a chance and give me a hundred dollars for asking you to do what you intend. Easy job, these big doctors. Easier than ours in the courts. I'd never have been able to pay to ask him to disapprove of the pace I've had to live at if I hadn't worked harder than he ever had to work. Give it a chance. I never could let my heart or anyone else have a chance till I was over 50. Heart and head, lungs and liver, kidneys and skin, all had to stand the racket or give if they couldn't. That was why he was alone. Mabel wouldn't stand for it, nor the two girls. They sided with their mother. Girls usually don't. One of them nearly always liked her father. But both went to Mabel. Mental cruelty. If all day you've been getting their living, and they wanted a lot by watching like a pike, to see if the other fellow couldn't be snapped up. You couldn't turn off the trick when you came home. You got into the way of striking as quickly, as surely, as automatically as a side winder. Well, they wouldn't stand for it. So here he was now with his heart to watch and nothing else. He'd done well and he'd hoped as soon as he was f through with getting on, he'd get light. He'd do the things. He'd have time that get you light. The big, generous things with which the big, easy, famous men convince everyone. Everyone who now wants to forget that they were ever small, keen, mean. They're formidable still, of course but in such a grand way. They just go on getting their way, but with no more 
than an inflection of the voice. They don't have so much as to raise a finger any longer. The old proverbial success of success. But where are the monuments of those who were drowned? Nothing succeeds like succession. Nothing succeeds like succeeds. Like Circe's, sorry, Circe's, that's S-U-R and then C's. The phrase declined itself, as one used to say of verbs in school grammar lessons. He was trying to memorise the whole conjunction, uh, sorry, the whole conjugation, conjugation, sorry. There was only um, a little time. The clock above the desk showed that the preparation hour was nearly over. He had learned all the other irregular verbs, but this silly one, success, succession, succeeds, how did the rest of it go? Success, succession, succeeds, decease, death, cremation. That was it. Not a very regular verb, after all. You could tell each declension, that's D-E-C-L-I, E-N-S-I-O-N You could tell each declension from the one before pretty well. He'd be able to remember it when called out to say it in front of the class. He'd look up at the clock again. It was just going to strike the hour, but instead it remarked in a sharper tone of voice. Wake up! But Mr. Brodegar once more sprang to attention to find, as before, that he was horizontal. Sheet swathed, 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 <laughs> pillow sunk, and had once more missed the tide. He had been called, but by the time he'd hurried up to the doors of his body, the summoner, like a ring and run street urchin, had made off, but had it. Mr. Bradiger's mood, which had nearly risen to the vigorous daylight state of irritated disappointment, suddenly sank, sank to apprehension. Perhaps he wasn't going to be disappointed this time. Perhaps this time the ringer hadn't run. He was now fully awake and realised how keenly sorry he was that he wasn't going to be disappointed. This is the third time I've been roused, he remarked to himself. There was a gentle whirring, and, as if in answer to his half-question, the clock announced that it was three. But whether it was because he was more awake this time, the tone of the voice, the tone of voice in which his timepiece made this, its third, summoned to a new day, struck Mr. Bredegar as being a trifle more peremptory, less deferential than the discreet summons of an hour ago. Then it had almost seemed to say by its tone, Excuse me, sir, but should you be wishing to know the precise hour? I beg to inform you that it is just 2am. Now its stroke rather suggested. Take it or leave it, but perhaps even a hint of. But if you do slip off again, I'm not responsible if you never wake up in time. 
But what was Mr. Bradigar meant to do? He was roused, but for what? The only thing was to set him, set oneself to listen. Putting on the light wouldn't throw any on what might be present, but which always seemed just to have done what it was up to and escaped into the past. If I did put on the light, he reflected, I'd only have the unpleasant feeling that whatever it is that's nibbling at me had been looking right at me the moment before I pressed the switch. That thought was so unpleasantly convincing that Mr. Bradigar, who had been vainly peering over the sheets fold into the dark, involuntarily shut his eyes. Only for a moment, he felt sure. But the clock had another opinion. Mr. Bradigar was all ears as, having started striking as if worked up to a kind of angry protest, the clock went on making its points, like a lawyer pressing a conviction. One, two, three, four. What? thought Mr. Bradigar. Five, six, six! And then there was no doubt that the clock's tone was as harshly startling as the information it imparted. Mr. Bradigar's attention flooded from ears to eyes. He opened them, found the sheet was over them, pushed it aside with an impatiently anxious finger, and, in a flash, realised what had happened. His whole body signalled it. Every sense, with a sort of cannonade, cannon-nading broadside funded the fact. He blinked his eyes. Yes, the room was light, but he could see only faintly, blurredly. He moved his legs, yes, with difficulty. He knew at once he was not the sort of fool that fools himself. He knew how to diagnose that curious sense of constriction, that feeling as though one were walking along the foot of the bed. That imaginary sensation. Of course, it was the typical projection phenomenon. The massive sensation pattern similar to the acute nerve response which the leg amputation patient feels when he says his toes are being pinched. Mr. Bradigar again stretched a little, to be quite sure. Yes, there wasn't a shadow of doubt. That illusion of being restricted and touching the foot of the bed could mean only one thing. He knew he couldn't actually be doing so because, as it happened, he had that bed built to make impossible precisely that horizontal nocturnal ambulation. As a boy, he'd hated a too short bed in which He'd been made to go on sleeping when he'd outgrown it. Really, a child's cot. And he'd made a promise to himself, which he'd kept, that when he grew up, he'd have a footless bed, and one in which, stretch as you would, you just couldn't touch the end. Mabel had laughed at him, and later had been annoyed. He'd grown to be a tall man, She'd said the seven-foot bed was nonsense, looked positively unbalanced. He replied 
that a bed was balanced if it stood steady on its four feet. And, anyhow, it wasn't for looks, but for closing your eyes and... Of course, she'd replied that, at least as long as they were up and about, she didn't see why her mouth should be shut by his snapping. It was one of those useless, fruitless, but fecund quarrels. They'd found by then that they could quarrel over anything. By the time he was making enough money for her always to be wanting more. And he without any time but to make it. He felt with his foot once more. Not a doubt of it. Well, he'd like to see Mabel's face when she heard the news. Remorse for a moment, then relief. Until his lawyer, whom she'd ring up quick enough, gave her the will in brief. Thinking of Mabel's face reminded him to repeat the visual checkup. He opened his eyes again, which had closed as he felt about with his feet under the bedclothes. True enough, eyes answered to toes, repeating the first message that they'd given him at the clock's summons. His eyes confirmed the numbed, constricted feeling of his legs, interpreting the general condition in their particular terms. He was seeing as blurredly as he felt numbly. He'd faced the music, those starts in the night. He knew now exactly what they were. One, two, three. The little lesions had taken place. He'd had a serial stroke. He was quite extensively paralysed. He pulled himself together inwardly, and outwardly he must leave himself sprawled. As the tree falls, so shall it lie. He was alone in the house. He began his summary of his situation. Not in pain, well, that was a reasonable expectation. But more, he felt wonderfully light and fresh. Indeed, if he hadn't known beyond a doubt that he was extensively paralysed, perhaps on the verge of death he was actually funny thought he began actually to chuckle he would have thought he was wonderfully well indeed years younger than when he had crawled under the sheets to begin the night he wished a moment that he'd troubled to ask his other friends who'd had strokes whether they'd felt this lightness freshness this absurd sense of being free and careless. Perhaps he had all felt it. He'd often heard doctors say that many of the insane are happier than when they had their wits. Consumptives too, they're peculiarly optimistic just before their final hemorrhage. So it would be that when your brain is wrecked, you have illusions of being young. A sort of mental facelifting, he chuckled again, and the thought floated out of his mind. He felt so careless and so easy that it wasn't worth thinking about anything very long. That was perhaps the funniest part about it all. 
to be so completely at one's ease, to feel so well in one's body that one didn't care about anything else, when, as a matter of fact, everything, mind, body and estate were gone. Yes, everything, for he now realised that not only was he helplessly paralysed and his sight blurred, but his mind was rapidly going. That was it. The brain hemorrhage must be spreading rapidly. He couldn't think now of what he'd last been thinking, only a moment ago. What was that thing he meant to ask old sick men about? Something to do with what they felt when they were ill. Oh well, it didn't matter. What would he be wanting to do? Bothering old wrecks about what they felt or didn't feel. His mind was so light and gay that he couldn't keep it more than a moment on anything. And that, too, he found rather fun. Still, as things ran through his mind... It was jolly just to run after them, as it were, to keep track of the carnival. He began to talk aloud to himself as a sort of comment on his thoughts. <coughs> Evidently, his speech was left, or at least it seemed so. But before he had time to check up on that, his voice was joined by another, or rather was collided into by it. Don't keep on murmuring to yourself like that, it said. He stopped and listened. Another sound broke on his ear. It was a sort of breathless howl. A breathless howl? Why, of course. That was a yawn. Someone was in the room and was waking up. Mr. Bradgar raised his head so that, too, wasn't paralysed. And that movement discovered something else for him. His eyes hadn't suddenly failed... Fact was, they were as fresh as his mind. He laughed. He'd fancied he was going blind because his nose almost had been touching the raised wooden side piece of the bed head. That silly boy's bed in which he was still made to sleep, though he was far too big for it and could never stretch his legs. He flung them over the edge. What was that dream about his not being able to move? The sort of nightmare one would get in a suffocating little bunk like this. But he dreamed a lot more than that. If he could catch the whole spiel before it slipped away, he remembered all sorts of odd things. Gosh! It was a dream as long as David Copperfield... Longer by gum. All about all sorts of things. Being a success and arguing people down. Far better than at school debating club. And meeting a wonderful girl. But somehow she didn't. He recollected faintly. Turned out to be so wonderful after all. And other girls, small girls, small girls that he'd liked because... They were small, but that was getting out of one's depth. How could one like little girls? He couldn't think up much more instant, much more instant 
Only a general impression remained that he'd had a crackerjack dream. Not so nice in its way, but wonderful just because it had seemed so confoundedly, confounded real. As real as one's own life. As real as oneself in this little old sleeping room. And Uncle Andy still snoozing in the big bed by the window. Uncle Andy yawned again, snuffled and remarked, You've been talking in your dreams, Jest, like one of them the Edison sound boxes I've just been hearing of. You've got an indigestion, eating all that pumpkin pie last night. It's this silly little bed. It gives me cramps. I was somehow fixed, so I was so I got dreaming I couldn't ever move again. Indigestion. Over-distended stomach. That was spelled S-T-U-double-M-U-C-K. You get a move on. Well, I feel fine this morning. Then get up and don't sit there yawning at me and complaining of your good bed that's held you well enough these 12 years. Uncle Andy was always a little sore in the mornings. Nick Bradigar remembered. Still, as he got out to fetch his towel and to go into the yard to splash under the pump, he felt suddenly that he must stop and ask a question. Why? It was the sword to make Uncle Andy sore. Still, something in the back of his mind made him feel it worth the risk. Uncle, what's it like, really, to be grown up? To be as old as you are. Over the crumpled sheet of the big bed. What do you think of this one? Over the crumpled sheet of the big bed, a roomy eye regarded him. That's R-H-E-U-M-Y. He thought he was going to be bald out. B-A-W-L-E-D. But no voice came. Only the old, tired, inflamed eye kept on looking at him. First fiercely, next defiantly, then pathetically. That was worse. Or was it? For suddenly it didn't seem Uncle Andy's eye any longer. It seemed somehow a picture of some sort. A kind of mirror. Or as though you were looking down the wrong end of a telescope. Ever so small and distant, but quite clear, he saw an old man lying with fixed, open eyes on a long bed. The light was still faint, as though the window had a curtain over it. The old man lay stiffly still, all save the lid of his eye, which seemed to flicker a bit as he lay on his side looking towards Nick. He was awful, like Uncle Andy, and yet, somehow, he wasn't Uncle. The bed, too, looked far richer, just as the man in it looked even more tired than Andy. The old, harsh clock began to strike, but it seemed more soft than usual. Still, it was enough to rouse Uncle. You get along, you young, lazy scamp. There's the half hour gone and you're still not even washed. You leave me alone with all your darn questions. 
you'll know soon enough what it is to be old. The heck you will. And I'll lay it. You'll not have made the hand living I've made with when time comes to take a stretch, as I've a right to take. Get along and don't disturb me till you've till you've the coffee ready and the bacon cooked. He nips out of the room. If you didn't clear quickly when Uncle Blue like that, you'd have his boots flying at your head at a moment after. And though old and lying down, Uncle had scored more hits than misses with those old hobnails of his, which were always close at hand when he went off his feet. Under the yard pump, the cold water on the top of his head made his brain tingle. Little rockets, thoughts shot through his mind. He wouldn't be a failure like Uncle, or just conk out, the way he'd heard his parents had. He'd get through and make good. Why? He could always win in discussions at school already. He was always twice as quick at answering back or thinking up a wise crack. Yes, and some of those big hulks and lubbers who could kick him over a fence, they were afraid of his tongue, tongue, tongue. He knew the way things he said would stick to the person he'd said them about. He saw himself getting on. What did one do? Law, of course, as he rubbed his red, thin body with the coarse towel. He saw himself on his feet in court, winning big law cases. First here, and there, right and left, then marrying, of course, an admiring wife, and having a large family that looked up to him, because he was clever, rich and powerful. He went in and started cooking the breakfast in the old squalid kitchen. But he hardly smelled the bacon and coffee. So strong was the daydream on him. Only the sound of Uncle's boots on the stairs now, fortunately on his old lame feet and not in his still flexible hands, roused him. Now go and make the beds, you lazy fellow. I know you. If you have if you have your breakfast first, then you never have time. You've got to go off to that darned school darned school where they only teach you what you were born doing and do in your sleep and I'll be doing when you die in the poor house. Talk, talk, talk. Get along with you. Nick Bradagar cut out of the kitchen and ran up the stairs into the frowsy bedroom. Only the big bed he swung the old frayed stale sheets, worn blankets and tattered coverlets into some sort of uneasy order. When he came to his cot, however, he paused, looking with a sort of helpless anger at the queer little cramped bed. Well, all I know he remarked himself with vicious resolution. If ever I make even a hundred books, I'll have a decent bed. First thing I'll have, 
I promise myself that. You spend nearly half your life on that one thing. Gum. If I could have a fine, decent bed, I don't think I'd mind anything else much. You'd always be able to stretch yourself in that to your heart's content. And in a fine bed, you can have fine dreams. That nightmare last night, what was it? It's all gone, but the taste. I know the cause, though. That blasted little bed. Here, you come down. What are you doing all this while? Hollowed Uncle Andy from below. And wash up before you go to that darned school. And there you go. The end of the story. The rousing of Mr. Bradagar. That was an interesting short read. One of the short ones. Um, so yeah. I hope you enjoyed that. And I'm going to re-listen to it. To get a deeper sense of it. So thank you for listening. to And tuning into Pablo's channel. With the ambient sounds in the background. We will leave you. Adios. Till the next time.